Deacon Bob was scheduled to give today's homily to you, the people of this parish, whom he loves very much. On the solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, whom he also loves very much, but unfortunately some logistical issues prevented him from being here. So he asked me to present his homily to you. So although you see me, the words you're gonna hear are his. When Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians in about the year 56, 20 plus years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, one of the issues he faced in this nascent church was the refusal of some Christ, uh, Corinthian Christians to believe in the resurrection of the body. These Corinthian Christians were Greeks, Gentiles. They thought, thought very differently from Jews who had begun to accept the idea of bodily resurrection of a century or more before Christ. The Greek mindset was dualist. They thought of the mind and body as separate. And what was important to the Greek mind was not the transient, corruptible body, but the soul. To the Greek way of thinking, the body was a prison for the immortal soul, so the idea of resurrecting a prison was absurd to them. Paul attacks this idea fiercely in the verses which lead up today's second reading. His argument goes like this, Christ is the model of all things. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ could not have been raised. And if Christ was not raised, then Paul's preaching is empty, and so is the Corinthians' faith. And if Christ has not been raised, not only is their faith in vain, they are still in their sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if they have hope in Christ only for this life, they are the most pitiable of all people. We must believe in the resurrection of the body. And so Paul declares most emphatically, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul's point is that it was not the soul of Christ that was resurrected, it was Christ's whole, entire body and soul who was raised from the dead. Jesus was recognized as Jesus after he was raised. We will be recognizable as ourselves when we have been raised. Christ appeared to Peter, to the 12, and the 500, not as a spirit, but as a person, whole, recognizable, in a resurrected and glorified body. In the Apostles' Creed, which we declare as our belief each Sunday, and on which part one of the current catechism of the Catholic Church is structured, we say very explicitly, we believe in the resurrection of the body. That is the faith we profess, a faith that may be hard to comprehend, but nevertheless what we believe. How this will come about, we do not know. Such knowledge exceeds our understanding and our imagination and is accessible only to faith. Yet our participation in the Eucharist, says the Catechism, already gives us the foretaste of Christ's transfiguration of our bodies. In the words of St. Irenaeus, just as bread that comes from the earth after God's blessing has been invoked upon it is no longer ordinary bread, but Eucharist, formed of two things, the one earthly and the other heavenly. So too our bodies, which partake of the Eucharist, are no longer corruptible, but possess the hope of resurrection. So Paul declares, 
In Christ, all shall be brought to life, but each one in proper order. Christ, the firstfruits. Then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God and Father. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So why do we include Paul's affirmation of bodily resurrection as a reading from the lectionary on the solemnity of the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary? Because Mary's assumption, her resurrection and taking up into heaven incorruptible, is the proof to us that the resurrection of the body is true for us as well. If Christ is the first fruits of those who have died, then Mary is the second. Christ was God, and so his resurrection partook of the divine as well as the human. Mary was fully human, and so her assumption is a sign to us that we too will be clothed with incorruptible and glorified bodies on the last day. Because Mary perfectly obeyed the will of God, not only when she gave her consent to become the mother of God, but throughout her life of perfect service and faithfulness to her son Jesus, God granted her this special privilege to continue her son's destiny in heaven, body and soul. Mary, or God has given Mary immeasurable and unlimited gifts. Her assumption was his final and perfect gift of love to her. And Mary received these gifts not only for herself, but for us. She is our model of true, active Christian living. Mary was not a passive, humble, unintelligent young girl when God asked her to bear his son. She was an articulate, sensible, intelligent woman asking questions of the angel Gabriel, making sure she understood what God wanted before she assented, be it done to me, as you say. She challenged her son to reveal himself at Cana at a marriage feast, and despite his protest that his time had not yet come, she calmly instructed the servants to do whatever he told them, and he changed water into wine. She stood at the foot of his cross and witnessed his sacrifice when all the other apostles except John had run away out of fear. Courageous, determined, intelligent, articulate, she served God and her son perfectly throughout her entire life, through joy and sorrow and pain, trusting and returning love for whatever befell her. She brought Christ to us through her obedience and her sorrow. Her yes to God throughout her life was the beginning of the salvation of the world. She intercedes for us yet. I know and testify to this. I've been gone a long time through five hospitalizations and bouts of rehab, the amputation of my left ear, and the great toe on my right foot, the loss of 100 plus pounds and facing several more surgeries. I've relied on Mary's intercession through her son Jesus for my healing, and I'm still here and I'm healing. If Deacon Dave is presenting this homily for me, it's because of the logistics of getting here with five more days of antibiotic infusions were too difficult to overcome and the continued threat of the Delta COVID variant. Not because I'm too ill to present this homily, besides which it's not about me, it's about the greater glory of God manifested by my healing through our Blessed Mother's 
intercession. And never forget, she continues to intercede for all of us and has appeared through the ages to guide us at Fatima, at Guadalupe, at Lourdes, at Knock in Ireland. She was a sure guide to a devoted Pope, St. John Paul II. So it's no wonder we say, Hail Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. Wherever she appears, the Blessed Virgin points unwaveringly to her son Christ, who is the savior of the world. Christ, who will raise us up at the last day. Christ, who will destroy death and subject everything, including himself, to the Father, so that God may be all in all.